So the issue of the church is to put on the best show you can put on. And when people come to church, what they're looking for is the show more than they are for the word. Because they're looking to be entertained rather than being taught. And there's a big difference in that. And a lot of that goes on by the priestly group. When people come to church, the big question is the same question that takes place at a restaurant. What can I get you? How can I serve you today? What can I do for you today? So that same question is being asked by many when they step into the church. What can the church do for me? You know, what can the church serve me or really give me? And the church can't give much if it's going to be the church. Starbucks, and this is not about Melvin, so don't think about Melvin and his Starbucks. Starbucks isn't just about coffee. It's about the coffee drinker experience. You can't step into another coffee shop that serves coffee in so many different ways as you do in Starbucks. And people step that they can only get from And then birthday. How many of you grew up just being excited about a birthday cake? Yeah. Boy, if you got a birthday cake with the candles on, you were excited. Now birthday is about, where am I going? Where are you going to take me? Are we going to Chunky Cheese? Are we going out for dinner? Are we doing this? It's the experience of doing something more. And it's taking the place, really, of the birthday cake. It's the, it's the experience that you have around it, rather than just remembering somebody remembered your birthday. And appreciating that. That now we look for this big experience to take place. It's my birthday. And I'm supposed to get this. And I'm supposed to go here. And I'm supposed to experience some grander thing. That when we come into church. After experiencing the world. The church is a boring place. It is a boring place. People won't come to church. That is boring. And what qualifies as boring is basically defined by our experience in the world. And when the church tried to keep up with the world in the entertainment business, we're going to lose. <laughs> Praise God for a good choir. But remember, it's not the Supremes. Remember, it's not the temptation. I'm naming these old groups because I don't know these new groups. Two pop, a pop two, or whatever, you know. And uh, the the whole the, the whole process is that you were being entertained. And the thing is, you can't keep all of the. Priesthood, and you're the priesthood. I'm part of that priesthood. Also a pastor. You're also saints. We're all in this together in a sense. The role of the pastor in the priesthood once seen as shepherds. Because, see, you were shepherding somebody on your job. You were shepherding a next-door neighbor. You're shepherding your home. You're shepherding somebody out here in the community. The job of the Pastor and the priesthood, once seen as shepherds and teachers, which you come in the church to be taught that you can go out where? Into the world and teach. You're not coming into church just to be taught, just to gain knowledge. You have a purpose. 
And that purpose is that when you go out into your job, when you're at your home, when you're with your relatives, when you're at another setting or whatever, and c- communication starts, that when you speak, you're not speaking from off the top of your head, you're speaking with knowledge about the things of God. So you come into church to learn that you can go out and teach. You're you're learning how to be that Christian where you're not living in two different worlds. You're consistent in what you do as a priest. A priest couldn't own land. A, A priest couldn't own certain things. The reason he couldn't own them because the distraction it would have taken from the temple. If I had to keep my ground, I wouldn't have time for what? To take care of the temple. The main job of the priesthood in the Old Testament was to take care of the tabernacle and then the temple, to take care of the things of God. But we have discovered even in this society, when I have to take care of my own things, God's house can go what? What we've become as pastors is
We're able to sing it and they really When you step into the Holy of Holy, you need to be dressed this way. You need to do this and you need to do that. Then he says to those, boy, you can only go just so far. And guess what? He started that with Moses up on the mount. He said unto Moses, Moses, keep the people at the bottom of the hill, but you come up. You come up. And God in His own way began to separate, but they are all priests. They're all Israelites. They're all there, but they have to be taught the ordinances of God. They have to be taught what God is expecting. And He put that charge in the charge of the Levites to teach the people of Israel. He put that charge or that responsibility on the priesthood that they would teach the people His ordinances. And they were the ones who had to show respect for the things of God first. The regulations of even how to bring your gifts, how to worship God, how to live for God. The duty, one of the most important duties, I think, when you really look at it, of the priesthood, or the priesthood, keeping the lamp burning. Keeping the lamp burning. Go to Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. There's the responsibility now, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, is responsibilities of the priesthood. And then see if we can carry it over some. Because it's important to be able to understand. If you don't ever understand your responsibilities, you can't fulfill those responsibilities. One of the things in our culture and society, when men get married, and the, the process is marriage or counseling is to help the man to understand his role in marriage, the woman to understand her role in marriage, the whole process of understanding of becoming a father one day, a mother one day, the responsibility of handling your finances and so forth is not about his or her finances, it's about our finances, it's about what God has given to us to be stewards of and so forth. It's to understand, but you don't have that unless you've been taught. Unless you've been taught. If you're not taught, you don't know how to be a husband. See, one of the things I shared with 
a person who's getting ready to go through a second marriage is this. What have you learned from your first marriage? (laughs) And then tell me, how did you represent God in your first marriage? And there's no representation of God in your first marriage. Why do you think it's going to be in your second marriage? Because, see, you need to understand what God is requiring of you as a husband, a father, as someone who has to lead a family. If you don't understand that, as we say in the world, you're just going to wing it. You're going to do the best you can do. Because you really don't understand what it is to be a leader of a house, to be responsible of a family, to be a man, a godly man or godly woman, to be a godly mother. Those are the things that have to be taught. But what we're hoping in society, when you become 18, 21, you've caught it all and you know it all. And the reality is, we don't. We don't. So in Leviticus 24, 1 through 4, listen to what he said. The Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually outside the curtain of the testimony of the tent of meetings. Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning, continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance from the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended, how often? Continually. The light on each end of the altar, the ark, was to keep burning continually. Was to burn continually. Representing this, wherever God is, there's what? Light. Representing that when you step into the presence of God, you're in light. Light is also then a symbol of knowledge. That's why they called some folks the enlightened ones. Because of their knowledge per se. And the thing is that when you're in the light, you're not in darkness. You're not in a thing that you don't understand or you don't know. But by stepping into the light, you gain knowledge and understanding. And God is not darkness. God is light. Now, go with me to John. If you read Exodus 27, 20, you'll find the same thing. But if you go with me to John 1 through 4, St. John. Because the whole issue is that God is light. And when you step into the light... You have knowledge. And God wants to be that light. And that whole process is that you are light. So in John 1, 4, he comes down and he says, let me get my eyes focused. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light of men. That that light was the knowledge for men. It brought men out of their darkness, out of their ignorance, and into light, into knowledge, into understanding, into wisdom, because Christ had been made wisdom for us. That we're no longer ignorance, and that's why God says he now what? Winks at what? Ignorance. Because of the light that is in us as believers, and if anybody wants to be in that light, they can be in that light. In other words, you can be in the know. You can be in the know. If you want to be. If you want to be. Go to Matthew four, sixteen. Matthew 4 and verse 16. And again, as if you want to know. The people living in darkness have seen a what? A great light. Let's illustrate that for a moment. What does 
Christ dwell at? In here. Yes, he sits in heaven, but he dwells also in here. And because he is the light, guess what's in me? Yeah. And he says, the people in darkness have seen what? A great light. When you step into a room of unbelievers, there ought to be something about you that brings light in. Ought to be something about you that brings knowledge in. Ought to be something about you that brings the truth in. There's something about you. Because why? The light is resident where at? In you. And you are their priest. And you are the temple. And understand this. You are responsible to keep the light burning. And believe it. Satan's going to put a fire hose on you. Why? He wanted to damper the light. Your job is to be a light. And oftentimes, we don't consider ourselves to be that light because we don't want to look foolish. So we're trying to put a bushel over our light. And yet, understanding, we are the light. We're the light in a dark world. We're that light that has to have the oil of the Holy Spirit that keeps this flame a-burning. And the more we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, the more brighter the light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That when you step into a place, you are pushing the darkness out. And when you step into a place, understand something. You're going to draw people to you because you are light. That's what makes it easier to witness. Which is harder? And, and, and I'm going to play a little bit here. The Lord says go into the world. Why? In the world is what? It's nothing but darkness. He sends you. You are the light of the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with the going aspect. But what you need to understand, you ought to be more of a drawing aspect than a going aspect. That people are drawn to you. They find comfort in you. They find security in you. They find peace in you. They find someone who they can console with and just pour their heart out. Take the woman at the well. 
Jesus was there, yes. And the conversation started. But she was constantly being drawn in, drawn in, drawn in, drawn in so much that she was comfortable to speak to a stranger about her whole life. And when you make people comfortable enough and they're being drawn in, they begin to open up with their life, their needs. And that's when you begin to be what Paul says, a drink offering, where you pour yourself into them because you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You begin to do something. Because you've been prepared to do it. And you have it in you to do it. And he says, boy, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Go to Matthew 5, just over of 1. and Let's look at 14, 16, that whole area of being the light. He says in 14, you are the light of the world. And some people say, well, I don't want to be that. So we put a curtain around it. We put a bushel over it. And the scripture says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't put that fire out of the Holy Spirit. But yet that's sometimes what we try to do. Why? Because see, we have it in our society. I want to go to work, go home, enjoy my little pleasures, and I don't want to be bothered. The the biggest thing that hinders the church from growing is that thing of comfort and I don't really want to be bothered or go outside my comfort zone. And we wonder why the church is losing the battle. Because Christians want to be comfort. They don't want to go outside of their comfort zone. And understand something. Some of your best ministry will take place when you're totally exhausted because now it's no longer the flesh that is driving you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that has uplifted you, taking you and speaking on behalf of God. Not the flesh. Some days when you're totally beat up and can't go another step, that's some of your best ministry that would take place. Because it's being done not in the power of the flesh, not in the thing of duty. It's being done through the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers you to really do the ministry that is before you. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're trying to hide it, but what? It can't be hid. If it's really there, it can't be hid. Have you ever put a, your hand around a small light bulb? Guess what happens? The light still sneaks through. And sometimes it's so bright under there, you see your blood <laughs> in your fingers. <laughs> Why? The light is trying to what? Burst through yet. You're trying to hide it, but yet it's busting through. It's coming through. If it's really there... It's going to come through. It's going to shine. Why? It cannot be hidden if it's really there. He goes on and he says, Neither do people light a lamp but to under a bow, to put it under a bow. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. One of the best things that takes place between a house and a workshop. You go in the house, you got the lights, but is it the light that makes everything beautiful or is it the shade that you put on the light? And most people get caught up with the shade and and the base. See, Elaine gave away some nice, beautiful, tall. We were having a giveaway here at the church, and, and boy, it had marble base on it, and chrome little legs on it, and it stood this high, but everything that went to little fat round things and, and the shade, and boy, she wanted to get these new ones, because that was the style. 
And oftentimes we're more interested in the style rather than the real effect. Take, when you go into the workshop, you don't have shades. You take them things off for the light. <laughs> Get out. And sometimes as Christians, we're more concerned about our outer look than our inner look. And we're going to talk about dress too of the priesthood. And the whole process is not so much to be dressed like the world, but to be dressed as God would ordain you as a priest, as a godly woman, as a godly man, and let that light shine. And over 1 John 1, 5, it speaks about God being light. And we represent him. And we want him to be light. As a priest, you are responsible for keeping your light full of oil, the Holy Spirit, and shining in your life. You're responsible. You are responsible to light up dark places in the community. You're responsible to light up the dark minds of people and bring light into their mind and understanding in their mind. You are the light of the world. And you need to understand that you're responsible. We have the responsibility of taking care of the things belonging to God. We have the responsibility of taking care of the things belonging to God. Go to Numbers 18. Nobody else in the world is going to take care of things that belong to God as the Christian. You are responsible to take care of it. And you need to ask the question, if you don't, who will? If you are not taking care of the scripture of God, the word of God, then who will? If you're not taking care of God's house and caring about God's house in this age in which we live, who will? You're responsible. We're responsible to take care of the things of God. And the priesthood was responsible of taking care of everything. First with the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was ready to move, the men had to go in and wrap everything in cloth. Mainly in the purple cloth. And they were the first then to lead out. And the rest of Israel will follow the Levites. But they were the first to lead out. But they first had to go in and wrap everything. Everybody couldn't go in and do that work. Guess what? Everybody can't come into church and do the work of the church. Why? It belongs to the priesthood of believers. Everybody can't carry out God's ordinances and statutes. Why? Because it's the duty of the priesthood to do it. We are the example to a dying world of how to live before God and regulate those Things that we know what is good. We know the things that are honorable and dishonorable. We have the discernment between what is clean and unclean. Why? We're the priesthood. We have to make those distinctions sometime in our society. What is pure and what's unpure. We set those examples. We have the responsibility. Go with me again to Numbers 18. The Lord said in verse 1 to Aaron, You, your sons, and your father's family are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the sanctuary. You are responsible to make sure when people come into this sanctuary, they know the regulations. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for that. Now the issue even in our culture today, people come into the church, we say it's no big thing that men step into the church with their hats on. It's no big thing. And somehow we have come to a point to just accept it because it's the time and norms in which we live.
the whole thing boils down to one simple issue. Respect and reverence of who you are before. That's all. That's all. If you were to step before the queen, one of the first things you would do is take that hat off. Many of us, the moment we step into the White House, we don't have to be told to take our caps off. We just take them off. Remember what Obama said to the Cleveland basketball team? Put some clothes on. Put some clothes on. That had to come from the president. Put some clothes on. Why? You're showing yourself to the world. Dress as though you are champions. Dress as though you are somebody who is worthy of the prize that you just won. And the president has said, put some clothes on. So when they went to the White House, they looked totally different than what we normally see them. And the coach even made sure they all had suits on. Because of where they were presenting themselves. And he says, you're responsible for people to understand the regulations of church, of my sanctuary. Because everybody who steps in them doors don't understand what's expected of them. But you are the ones who are to teach them. And he says the responsibility falls on you, all of us, not just the pastor. And he goes on, he says, And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribes to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the testimony. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all duties of the tent, but they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar or both they and you will die. So even in that area, there's things that you have to teach people that what they don't what? They don't do. We, we, we just have an open thing. And we're just glad the seats are full. But the thing is this. What are the regulations when you come before a holy, righteous God? What is the regulations about a clean conscience and a pure heart before you come before a holy, righteous God? What are the regulations of you as saints and believers in God that your conduct or your behavior should be? Because you're a priest of the living God. And and he goes on and he says, boy, in verse 4, they are to join you and be responsible for the care of this tent of meeting, all the works at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar so that wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected you fellow Levites, from among the Israelites as a gift to you to dedicate to the Lord to do the work of the tent of meeting. Lord, I don't want that gift. I don't want the gift of a priesthood. I don't want the gift of being part of a priesthood. I don't want the gift because I don't want the responsibility. So we deny the gift of being part of the priesthood because I don't want what? The responsibility. And he goes on and he said, I've chosen you. I've given you this. I've called you Levites. Remember what he said? You have not chosen me, but I've what? I've chosen you. You just don't step up and say, well, Lord, I'm going to serve you. That don't work. Believe it or not, God is not asking for volunteers. IRS says a volunteer has the privilege of doing whatever so they desire more so than what you instruct them to do. Because when you begin to give a volunteer too many instructions according to IRS, they have to be a paid staff. But as long as they are volunteering, 
They can say, nope. You can say, I want you to take the wheelchair up the room. Nope. I don't go above the second floor. I don't go five, six, seven, eight. I only go to the second floor. Volunteer. Will you take that mop? Nope. A volunteer has the privilege of coming when they want to come. IRS rules. Not when you select the time for them. If you put a time on them and you describe their duties, then you're obligated to pay them because they have moved from the position of volunteer to the position of an employee. And God is not asking for volunteers. God says, as being in the priesthood, these are your duties, and you will perform them. You will carry them out because of who you are. And when you don't do it, here here, here is something that's amazing. Paul says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew it was going to cost him something if he didn't. But Paul had the wisdom also to know this. It wouldn't stop God's program. Because you don't do does not stop God's program. God continues to move forward. What God's inviting you to be is a co-labor with him. To work along with him. And when God works, you say, wow! When God, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's a miracle. Oh, that's too. Why? Because you're not the one doing it. God is the one doing it. But you're right there with him and you're able to see him perform. And when you're able to see him perform, now you have a testimony to share with somebody else. Because what you've seen God do. And he says, you're responsible for this. Now go to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 1 Corinthians 3. Because we're good at saying this without knowing the responsibilities of this. See? And, uh, oh yeah, we are the temple of God. See? But what we forget is that we're bought with a price. What we forget, we are no longer our own. And so in verses 16 and 17, he said, Don't you know? And Paul's reminding these saints, the Corinthians. And he starts off with, Don't you know? And we can say that very clearly today to people. Don't you know? Don't you know who you really are? Don't you know that you're part of the priesthood? Don't you know that you are a treasure of God and that God has invested in your earthly jars what he's put in there? Is, is a treasure to God. Don't you know who you are? That you are a saint. You're not waiting for somebody to lay hands on you and make you a saint. But you are a saint of the living God. Don't you know that you are a Christian, a follower of Christ? Don't you know who you are? Amen. See, that's important to be able to identify. That you know really who you are. And who you serve. And who you belong to. And who you represent. And he says, don't you know, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? Don't you know that? And that God's spirit lives where? In you. There's the oil. There's the light that is in you. And he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Now, go back in Old Testament and check. Whoever destroyed the temple, God eventually destroyed them. Just go back and check it. Every group who defiled the temple was also destroyed by God eventually. And you are the temple. Now the question I would pose to you is this. What are you doing to take care of your temple? What are you doing to take care of your life as the temple of God? How do you keep sin at a distance from you? 
How do you keep sin away from your door? Or do some of you have the welcome sign out? And the issue is, how do you keep sin at bay? Now understand, Satan's coming. And sometimes he's going to get through. And sometimes you're going to falter. And sometimes you're going to slip. But all you have to do is repent and ask God to wash you anew and afresh. And you're right back in the game. Don't let Satan put you on the sideline for any length of time. It's not good to be a bench warmer. And some of us are satisfied just being a bench warmer. The issue boils back down. Do you want to play in the game? And do you want to play bad enough? Do you really want to see how effective the armor is that God has given to you? Do you really want to see how powerful the word of God is that is like a sword that you will? Do you really want to see that? Do you really want to test your shield and know that it will protect you? Do you really want to know if that helmet really works? See, Roscoe found out a helmet really works. See, he experienced it. You see? And if it wasn't for that helmet, boy, he may have some stitches running across here. See? It's the important part of that helmet of salvation, that it really works. You want to know it. See? Do you know you really are the temple of God and what are you doing to preserve the temple? And you need to really look at it. Go to 2 Corinthians real quick. And we'll hit this last one. 2 Corinthians real quick. It is not that we are a people who go hide from the world because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Elaine, come here. You know what I can do this with? Come here. I want to call some other young lady up here. The Lord says, what does his godly sanctuary have to do with an ungodliness? Now, he's not talking about being totally separate from the world that you can't witness. Now, I want you to do something. You're going to embrace me. Okay? Now, I know you're a little bashful, but I want you to really embrace me. Okay? Okay. Don't turn away. What are we? We're locked together. There's not much space in between us. We are locked together. We're embracing each other. Now, Okay, thank you. That is what oh, where go to? That, that is what the Lord is talking about. That you embrace the things of the world. Not that you're not part of the world and that you're separating yourself from the world. But what you don't do, you don't embrace it. You don't, imb- you don't bring it into your bosom. You don't bring it into your heart. Come here, huh? How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, bro? What are we doing? And we're keeping our what? I love you, brother, but I don't love you like I love her. <laughs> I know that's right. I know that's right. Hey, it right there. All hey, right. Uh, and, and see with the world, we keep a what? Yes. Thanks. Now, get ready. Follow with me in the scripture here. He says, do not be yoked. Elaine and I were what? Tied together. Yoked together. And he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Because you got to discern the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean. Why? You're the priest. 
And he goes on, he says, Oh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? That's not saying you can't talk to somebody who's in darkness, but you don't go over there and camp out with them. You don't embrace them, in a sense. Because you know what? They're in darkness. You're bringing the light. But when that light penetrates them, now you're ready to do what? Embrace them. Why? Because you got the same blood running through each other. You're both serving the same Lord and Savior. You both have the same hopes. You both are believing the scriptures. Now you're embracing. And he says, What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from, the, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean things. Now he begins to tell you, don't touch pornography. Don't touch a wayward woman. Don't touch adultery, in a sense. Don't touch those things that are stolen. Don't go steal. They're the things that you begin to say no to. Why? Because they're unclean for your vessel. They're unclean for your vessel. They don't benefit you. They don't bless you. They don't improve your life. They don't cause your life to be better. They damage it. They damage it. And we have to understand that. Let's hit this last one and I'm done. Who thought I was? You have the responsibility of remembering. You have the responsibility of remembering who you are. And when you remember who you are, you will dress in such a way. When a woman dressed in a way that she says, I'm not married, she is bringing a shame to her husband. But when she dresses in a way that says, I'm married, it pushes a lot of things away. It pushes a lot of things away. A lot of men who would approach her would not approach her because just the manner of her dress. And when you're a godly woman and you're really serving the Lord, the way you dress will keep men at bay. Because men see with their eyes. And the more you reveal, the more we want. The less you reveal, the less we want. But if you're someone who just let it hang out, you're in trouble. Because Satan's going to send the hound dogs. And the process is even with men. It's the way we dress and how we dress. And we need to remember who we are and who we are representing. Because it's important. The way we dress states our position. It states the respect and the honor that we're giving to the position. The way we dress speaks a lot. Understand back in the 70s, IBM and a lot of big corporations went to what they call was casual. And productivity in the business place went way down. And they bought back then you had to come to work with your shirt and tie and more than a dressing professional style. And productivity went back up. One of the reasons I sent my children to Liberty College because of one of their slogans, learning to dress to be successful and professional. And Gus went there and he learned. It wasn't bad wearing a shirt and tie to class. It wasn't bad having to wear a suit during chapel time. Because Jerry Farwell was conditioning a mind 
of champions and of Christians that would go out into the business world and win people for the Lord. And they weren't going to do that in their everyday style dress. And go to Exodus 28, 39. Because we need to remember, when you see an ambassador of the United States, you usually see him dressed appropriately. Why? He is representing the United States. Now, I'm not going to have time to go into it per se, but uh, in Romans 13.7 says, Give honor to who honor is due. No, we give respect to who respect is due. But that old commercial, respect is something that people what? Earn. Not just given, but you earn it. And then in Second Peter 2, he says, honor the king. He didn't say if he's a bad king, lousy king, good king. Honor what? Honor the king. Now, sometime I'm around people and they start talking about the president, I remind them of one thing. He's your president. He's your president. Whether you voted for him or not, he's still your what? Yeah. Now, I may not like everything he does, but he's still the president. Remember something about yourself. You're still the priest of God. You're still the ambassadors of God. You're still the saints of God. Before you go out the door, look at yourself and ask yourself, are you really representing God? See, it's not about my comfort all the time. It's about who I represent. Who I'm standing up for. And I should be dressed in an appropriate manner and way that is fitting to the office that I hold. Now, he says, and there's two key words here that I'm going to bring out. He says, weave the tunic and linen and make the turban of fine linen. The slash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, slashes, and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them what? Dignity and honor. Can dress give a person dignity and honor? I have never seen the Queen of England dressed in a disrespectful way. But she carries herself in such a way that demands a certain respect and honor. Now, we're not used to that because we just say, you accept me as I am or don't accept me. Well, a lot of times you're not going to be accepted. I had a hard time teaching that to my granddaughter. Everybody's not going to accept you just the way you are. Now, you just want this class of people, and you just want this. That's all you're going to be, because that's what's going to accept you. But this other group up here is not going to accept this. And she's having a hard time sometimes catching this. She just went back to work after being off theater. Don't worry about what they're doing. You worry about what you're doing. The thing is, when you go in that job, are you giving them your best, and are you following the rules? You don't make their rules. You may not like their rules, but you don't make their rules. You don't govern over it. What you're there for is to get a paycheck. <laughs> and whatever their rules are, how you are to dress, what you are, the way you are supposed to behave around their patients and so forth, and how you're supposed to carry on when you're in their room cleaning up or whatever, they have those rules for a reason. You follow them. And that's hard. Because we live in a young people's world that don't know how to follow rules. And they want to govern their own lives. Not knowing without the rules and without somebody regulating the rules for them, they would be shipwrecked. They would be shipwrecked. And he says, two reasons for this dress down. The purpose was to make them look like the rest of Israel? No. 
Nobody else can even wear this dress or dress like this. One for dignity. What's dignity? Bringing worth and honor to a person. Bringing worth and honor to a person by the way in which you dress and present yourself, by your mannerism. All that brings a high respect and honor. By the way you perform, why? People are always watching you. You're a priest, and because you're a priest, you're always on the stage performing before people. And what you should be ready to do is show forth your best. To show forth your best in your conduct, in your language. And know how to dress appropriately for different functions. The priest, the high priest didn't go around all day long in his high priestly robe, no. But when he stepped into the presence of God, he was dressed appropriately. But neither did he become so common that he was like the common individual. There was a difference. And then the thing of honor is conducting oneself in high regard. If you don't regard yourself as a priest, if you don't regard yourself as a godly man, if you don't regard yourself as a godly woman, if you don't regard yourself, how do you expect others to think of you? You set the eyesight of how people will render respect to you and honor to you by the way in which you conduct yourself. You set that stage. Ephesians 4, 1, and we're done. Then you ask yourself this question. Because Paul's challenge here is that you do this. And he says in 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord. And that's a good word, prisoner. As somebody captivated by Christ. As somebody who has been confined and limited to this, this and that that I'm limited in my words, I'm limited in my dress, I'm limited in places where I can go and really show up at, I'm limited on what I'm able to really do, even though I want to do it. I'm limited in doing that. And he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy. Of the calling. Are you called? Are you called? Worthy of the calling you have received. You are a priest. You are a royal priest. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you live in a manner? Does your conduct demonstrate that you live for the Lord Jesus Christ? And is it worthy of men and women having a high regard or respect for you? When you got to tell somebody, respect me, that's not going to work. If your appearance and the way you conduct yourself does not command respect, you will not receive it. And when you tell somebody, you got to respect me, you can believe it, they will not respect you because they see a flaw in your character and you keep pushing, they'll tell you why they don't respect you. Walk worthy of a priesthood that you've been called into that people will respect you and honor you because they recognize the light that shines through you. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord.
for your loving kindness unto us. And thank you for your word. May you continue, Lord, to challenge us and to teach us that, Lord, we are here to represent you. We are here to guard the things of your sanctuary. We're here to guard, oh God, your word. We're here to teach your word. And Lord, help us to understand as priests, we are to teach your standards. As we look into that a little further, the area of the priest as a teacher, help us to understand our great responsibility. That a world is dying because it doesn't know the teaching of the gospel. The world is dying because they don't understand the standards and the principles of the living God. Lives are messed up because they do not know the scriptures of the living God that will direct and order their steps. Lord, help us, I pray, to be a godly priesthood before you and know who we are, that when we step out on the world stage, that we're letting our light shine for you. Minister to us, Lord. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to give to him.